Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 78. We're here today, joined by Leah Birno of Ridgeside Canine, based out of the Canton, greater Cleveland area. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Excited to, be, to here. be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Leah is obviously uh, a dog trainer um, based out of the Canton area with Ridgeside Canine. They do a lot of pet dog training. Ridgeside is also a branch of... Um, or not a branch. It's like affiliated with a lot of people have heard of obviously Van S canine, um, Eric uh, Stanborough, yep. I believe, right? A police canine trainer, very well respected police canine trainer. What was it? Uh, a year or two ago, did he open Ridgeside? Was it? It's probably actually, it was a year ago, I think a month. Cool. Awesome. So obviously, uh, Leia is heading the show over there. How many trainers are there currently? There's maybe like 10 of us. It's 10 of them? Like a very tight knit kind yeah. of family, but without being super toxic so it's really hell yeah cool it's like the ragtag misfits yeah <laughs> well listen why don't you kind of uh introduce yourself here obviously uh tell us a little bit about your kind of your kind of story how you got into this and stuff and we'll start yeah. talking some dogs um well i've been training dogs professionally for about three years but i started training for like search and rescue four years ago and that's kind of what just made it all explode for me mm-hmm. so i don't know if i started things backwards or what is normal for a lot of trainers, but just seeing like my little tiny like Amish fuck up do like really <laughs> well in Excel made me super excited. So I wanted to share that with other people. Sure. But I just didn't know how. Yep. And I figured people just being able to enjoy their dog and finding things to do with them would probably bring me joy. Yep. So I could still keep search and rescue as my passion and my hobby and then just make people fall in love with their dogs through just doing daily life with them. Hell yeah. So you started with the search and rescue mm-hmm. stuff and what, what got you into that? So did you go straight, like, so you got your dog mm-hmm. and you started right away with search and rescue training? I actually didn't. So <clears throat> what I did is I was working at pet insurance and I made friends with like random people. And I said, I wanted to get into some type of dog sport with my dog, maybe nose work, mm-hmm. um, barn hunt, things like that. Yeah. So she's half beagle and half cattle dog. So it's like, there's maybe something there. Sure. So I started talking around and one of the coworkers invited me to come just evaluate, see what they do. And then from there, Sage was maybe like eight months old. Mm-hmm. And then I just started training her for that, for um, tracking and trailing. Yeah, that's cool. What, uh, what's the big pet insurance company around here? Embrace. Embrace. That's one you work for? Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I have a, a couple of clients and stuff that work there. And I know there's, you know, a very wide variety of people that are into all sorts of different like dog activities and yeah. stuff there, which is super cool. It's it's a really like interesting place to work because you meet so many people and it kind of opens your eyes to like yeah. what the pet world is really like. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely seems like an interesting environment. That's for sure. Um, very cool. So did you ever, I mean, so do you just have your one dog, Sage? I also have a Dutch Shepherd. She's three, and her name is Buttercup. Nice. So she's in training for human remains detection. Nice. That's cool. And is that something you actually want to like do something with? I do. So she'll probably be certified in August. Yeah. So that way we're part of like our county's first responders unit. Mm-hmm. So if like a few months ago or a few weeks ago in Garfield Heights there was a house explosion, <clears throat> so we got called out to that. Really. So we're able to like search the property and see if the dogs like alerted to anything or showed any interest. Yeah. So it was pretty, wow. pretty interesting. That's a, that's an interesting world. I have obviously little to no involvement in that kind of stuff. I never really, uh, did any sort of search and rescue stuff or tracking or anything like that. And I think I saw like on your bio, like you've done a lot of like tracking work and stuff mm-hmm. with your dogs. 
Uh, and that stuff is always uh, very interesting to me. I remember when I first started getting into it, um, the guy that I worked for used to help with like one of, I don't even remember what like department or whatever it was, but this guy had this like hound that would um, like do tracking work yeah. and stuff like that. And we would take it into this field across the, uh, across the parking lot from where we were at. And he would like set up these tracks and stuff and have the dog go on. And it was always, it's, it's just so interesting how they like teach it and they teach the, you know, just the keeping the nose to the ground and, and kind of following the trails and stuff. And I have a little, uh, little, little experience with that kind of stuff, but it's always interesting. Um, so did you ever have any like, so, so what got you in? So you wanted to search out obviously, figuring out about the, um, you know, about the search and rescue stuff and everything like that. Did you ever have any big issues with your dogs and stuff that led you to just looking to do training in the first place? Or did you kind of always have like a knack for it or? Um, so honestly, Sage's first year of life as like a complete fur mom and did literally everything you could fucking do wrong for your dog. <laughs> I was like, you can't correct a dog. You can't do sure. this. She has to be on like bougie food. And yeah, then I created a reactive dog and I was like, Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like fine in daycare, but like on a leash, just a fucking nightmare. Like a bee on sure. a string. Yeah. I was like, so I need to try and resolve this. Yeah. So I'm the person where I like to just take things into my own hands sure. and just try and figure it out and do it. So one day I was just really fed up with her behavior. I was like, I just need to hunker down and every so once in a while, like give her a correction, let her know, like, yeah. you literally can't do this. Like, this isn't acceptable and yeah. like take things away from her. So that way she doesn't just spiral out of control because I don't want to ever be those people where it's like, Oh, my reactive dog journey for five, six years until their death, <laughs> until they're euthanized because they bit a toddler. Like that's yeah. not what I wanted. <laughs> that's like one of the, one of the things we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast that drives me crazy is like people create these like identities around their dog's behavioral issues. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> it, it is sad. It's like, God, like, you know, it's like some of this stuff, it's, it's crazy. You know, like there's a lot of talk about, you know, people in like boarding trains and this and that being like, oh, you know, two weeks and everything's fixed and this and that. And it's like, obviously it doesn't work completely that way. But at the same time, there's a reason why a lot of these dogs, you know, even the ones that like people are like, wow, I've struggled with this for seven years, eight years, stuff like that, like come here and like virtually like that like seem like the behavioral issues just like disappear right i think the structure helps a lot yeah just like time. setting boundaries and i think a lot of people are afraid to do that mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. most people are like oh i treat my pets like they're my kids and they really don't they yeah. kind of hold their dogs to a higher pedestal mm -hmm. because with your kids there a lot of people have no issues like correcting and giving punishments and setting boundaries and yeah. expectations and i feel like a lot of people just don't do that with their dogs or they're afraid to or mm -hmm. They're afraid of how they're going to be like perceived yeah. to the outside world. Oh yeah. I think some of it also comes down to the nature in which how we need to do it. Like you look at it with kids and stuff like that, because we could reason with them and, and verbally talk to them and stuff like that. Like you could give a quote unquote correction or yeah. a punishment that's simply just like a stern talking to. Yeah. Right. But because yeah. dogs don't understand that kind of stuff, typically speaking, you know, a correction or a punishment, there's always going to be some sort of either physical or emotional discomfort mm -hmm. involved in doing so. And the mm -hmm. idea of that you know, even though it's like the same thing and like obviously in the dog world, that's the, oh, there's not like an alternative to it. Um, that idea is really hard for a lot of people to grasp, I think. Mm -hmm. And that sucks because I think people see like their dog have that moment of just like, sure. oh God, yeah. this just happened. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in your daily life, like I probably have like 20, oh God moments. <laughs> this just happened. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, life just kind of throws you like those as well. So I feel like if we can grow from it, our 
pets can too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I mean, it's, it's so funny when we see a lot of these dogs that come in for like one-on-one classes or something that, you know, have no food drive and, and they don't take treats or this or that. And we wind up going through first half of the program, just teaching things through, you know, prong collar training or e-collar training and stuff like that. And then we'll hit that halfway point and we still haven't used like a single treat through the training. And the owner has that moment of like, oh my God, my dog is so much more confident. Right. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive because like what is preached all day long is that, you know, corrections and punishment and this and that is going to obviously make it worse or just this general concept that I feel like most owners have of like, you know, how many times you get asked the question of like, you know, why would I use a prong collar or an e-collar or this or that with a fearful dog? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like why that doesn't make sense. Why would yeah. I add something that's, you know, inherently <clears throat> negative to a dog that's already scared? But all it is, is it creates more consistency. It creates more routine and more predictability, right? These dogs that are struggling from like anxiety or fear or whatever it may be, or a lack of general confidence, it's just coming from a place of them not understanding what's expected of them, right? And even if it's black and white of like, a correction or something bad happens at this exact moment, right? Every single time. As long as that's predictable, I could be confident in how to avoid that thing. But if it's random or life's throwing these curveballs at you that you can never expect, that's where all the anxiety and stuff comes from at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know? So, interesting, for sure. So, what, um, what, so, so you went from total fur mom to obviously training dogs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I never went through that transition, right? Like mm-hmm. I, like from when I got a dog, like I never had dogs growing up or anything. Like I never had this association of just like dogs are just this like, you know, like like this humanized thing. To me, I grew up and my parents were just like, it's, it's a dog. You know what I mean? So, so for me, jumping into the training side of things and coaching people through those types of things, um, initially... I remember like my first couple of years in it, I had a really hard time like relating to a lot of the things people would say from the standpoint of like the fur mom kind of like spoiling and like, this is my human child and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, it was like, what are you talking about? Like it's, it's literally a dog. <laughs> right. And yeah. that I think actually hindered me for a little bit because like, I couldn't really get to them like emotionally from the standpoint of what they needed to do to adjust it. And I think there's definitely some benefit from your standpoint, having been in that position, being able to relate of these are the adjustments I made. And I still love my dogs just as much as I did here. But like, I realized these are the things that they need, obviously. Um, how did that transition go for you? You know, how do you feel like that impacts your relationship you have with your clients or the relationship you have with your dogs or, or anything like that? Client-wise, I think it really helps me yeah. because I can connect with them and have them feel like they have like a, a different sense of trust than they might have had before. Sure. Because when they meet me, it's just like, who am I? I'm no one to them. I'm no one to their dog. Yeah. And then their dog just spends two weeks with me and they're just like, what, what the hell's going mm-hmm. on? Sure. So for me, I love it because I can help them not make the mistakes I made mm-hmm. and help them have a dog that like I wish I had at like six months, a year mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. and actually enjoy life more yeah. because trying to work through all of that, it can be draining. Yeah. So emotionally draining that you're just like, why the fuck do I have a dog? So I want to <laughs> help them avoid that. I want to help yeah. them keep their dog. And some people, they get puppies and that's primarily what I do. And there's like, I'm at my wits end. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like, it's it's a puppy. Yeah. Like how can you already be over it? But it's just the sense of okay, they might have tried everything and they just don't have that yeah. skill set or that knowledge. So that's why I'm here. Someone? And after the two weeks, I just drop all the knowledge bombs on them and give them some hard truths, and then life is great. And then you get text messages two weeks later of their dog at the pool with them. Yeah. Love and life. Hell yeah. You know, it's so funny you're saying, like, how can some people be, like, over a puppy so quick? Man, I've met some puppies that are goddamn terrors. I was just having this conversation with somebody. I think I was doing 
was doing a one-on-one or a send home or something like that the other day. And the person told me basically the same thing. It was, it was a, it was a one-on-one class. She had this like, like black lab puppy thing. Dog's like eight months old, nine months old now or something like that. I was like, yeah. So what like brought you here in the first place? She's like, man, like I got this puppy when it was eight weeks old. And she's like, I literally spent like every day for like three weeks just like crying. Like, what did I do? Because this puppy <laughs> just freaking terrorized her. Would just like bite her all the time. Just go absolutely mm-hmm. Cujo in the house. <laughs> and, this oh, and, that. and it's like <laughs> some of them can be so fucking crazy it's unbelievable yeah and like it's funny because like then you get like the the fucking joe schmoes out there that are like it's a puppy you just need to try to do this and you need to you know just you know be the alpha and you know and just you know do this and do that and everything will be fine or it'll grow out of it it's like (laughs) you haven't met some of the puppies that i've met man yeah (laughs) some of these dogs are fucking crazy that's the issue i think people have lived their lives with us specific dog and then yeah. they get the dog they've never had before and yes. that's the mm. issue like yeah. I recently trained a beagle and the family has three other beagles sure. but this one they call their Shady Sadie because she's just like <laughs> Shady <fucking> Sadie <laughs> hell yeah she would just kind of like do shady things I'm like oh well she's a beagle so let's work through this and yeah. you know I heard from a friend that they were kind of at their wits end sure I was like I'll fucking take this dog she's awesome she's sweet she's yeah. awesome like I yeah. love beagles I love hounds but mm-hmm. Having that dog you've never had before, it makes it difficult. It's hard when you yeah. have the dogs that are just couch potatoes that want to do nothing. And then yeah. you have this little one that's like a terrorist running through your house, chewing on your carpet, yeah. stealing your food. Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember one time, like years ago, I saw, do you know who Mark Goldberg is? Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, he posts his uh, Goldbergisms. I think he calls them on Facebook all the time. Like little little bits of like hilarious <laughs> like thoughts and stuff. Yeah. And he posted this one one time of like, you know, train or, or owners will come in and be like, yeah, I trained all my dogs up until this point myself. And like this one just doesn't get it. Right. And so Mark is like, yeah. So like I'll ask him. I was like, yeah. So how many dogs have you had before? And they'll be like, well, I've had whatever at a high number, like 10 dogs before. And I trained them all myself. And he's like, yeah, I trained that many today. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so I've seen a lot more temperaments and a lot more personalities in dogs than you have. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's a lot of it, man. It's like, you were just you, exactly like you just said is, is people just like, you get a lot of easy dogs sometimes. And I did the same thing. Like when I got Vera, like Vera is pretty much a cakewalk of a dog like the only issue she had when i got her was she pulled a lot on a leash you know yeah. like she's whatever she was a young pity fucking jacked out of her mind and just would yank me all over the place and i was like well we gotta get that under control but aside from that she's super friendly with other dogs she's super friendly with other people she was great in her crate right off the rip you know like housebreaking and stuff like that <coughs> was a little bit hard initially, but that was just because I didn't supervise her ever. So it wasn't even like a her problem kind of thing. Cause as soon as I did, she was fine. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I got fucking Vinny who is a psychopath. He's a mountain, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that contrast that I saw from her to him was like the most dramatic change you could ever experience between two dogs. Yeah. Um, and that just completely opened my eyes. And then, you know, I got another dog and another dog and another dog. And you realize that every single one of them is a complete individual. Right. And that's the interesting thing about training is, you know, I'm not so much a believer that like every dog needs something different from a training standpoint, because like, if you look at it, like animals learn the same, you know what I mean? Like the concepts you're using and the mechanics of the training and stuff like that applies to every single dog, but every dog's temperament needs something different from you as far as how you implement that training. You know what I mean? Um, and that's the biggest thing I, we try to get 
you know, people to realize, and we've been talking about so much on the podcast is just like, not every dog is going to turn into this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you have this like specimen of like, this is what a dog should be. Mm -hmm. Not every dog can get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make them bad, but it just means that you have to cater your expectations. You have to cater the things you do with them as an individual to help them thrive. Uh, and, and that's something I feel like just so many owners are, are not understanding. And I think frankly, a lot of trainers aren't necessarily understanding too, because they're kind of preaching too much of a like fixing concept, you know, mm -hmm. not every Vinny can be a Vera. Not every Vinny can be a Vera, but you know <laughs> what? He could be the best Vinny that he can be. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> hell yeah. So, um, what sorts of things right now? So like you've been obviously training and like, kudos to you like i mean from the standpoint of like the structure of your program like you're doing everything like we were talking about right before we started like you're doing this all out of your house mm -hmm. you are the one working with the dogs you don't have like other people that are coming in and like training with them and stuff like that so like you're really heading the show um what sorts of things in the last year like what have been like some of your biggest like learning like curves and stuff like that that you faced like what do you feel like uh has really like excited you in the dog world right now getting my hands on as many different dogs as I've had. Uh -huh. um, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. I've made friends with some really awesome breeders, just working where I work and getting to see like what well-bred dogs are like mm -hmm. compared to, you know, some of the shelter dogs that just aren't working with the best genetics. So that's just been like eye-opening aside from like search and rescue, seeing that from that side. Mm -hmm. But it's just so cool that the amount of trust people have with you after meeting you for 30 minutes and Crazy. just letting you take their dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even if like the dog's like freaking out at first, it's like, it doesn't look great. You know, mm -hmm. it's like probably they're staring like, Oh God, my dog's like terrified of her right now. Yeah. As like, you're walking outside, you're like, I got her. We're all good. Thank you. Bye. Leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you send updates and their dog's like super happy. And then it just makes life great. Yeah. Um, but I think like being like a newer trainer, I think what I kind of wish like I knew now or then or however it is, is just just taking time for yourself too. Cause I mm -hmm. feel like you just get so excited to do something with all these dogs and yeah. have all of this new motivation that you kind of like sometimes maybe forget yourself. So yeah. I'm always like telling like my friends who are trainers have been doing it longer than me. Mm -hmm. um, just to take time for yourself. Like you're important too. Like you can't pour from an empty cup. So yeah, for sure. I think that's the biggest downfall to a lot of the in-home stuff. Like, I think it's it's phenomenal for the dog, obviously, but for the trainer, it could be so exhausting. I have a buddy that's in, uh, like, North Carolina, like the Charlotte area, and he, I, I, I met him maybe, like, five years ago, six years ago, something like that, and, um, you know, he does all in-home dog training, and he's just, like, blown his business. I mean, he's done phenomenal, right? Uh, but one of the constant things that I'm talking with him about, like every like maybe four or five months, something like that, we'll hop on the phone, chat for 30, 40 minutes, um, is, you know, he's trying to find new ways, same deal to give himself that relief. And he's figured out a great structure from this standpoint of like, he does like a, I think he does, I think he does three week board and trains. And I think he follows a very, very strict six weeks on two weeks off approach. And like, that's been just like yeah. the absolute, like, like perfect routine for him. Cause for six weeks he's fucking on, I mean, he does like five, six dogs at a time. Like it's all out of his house. He's the only one that's doing it. You know what I mean? And that is absolutely exhausting and draining, obviously. It can right? be. That's why like, I try to limit myself. Yeah. Like I want to be the yep. best I can be. And I always want to feel like I can take on more, yes. but it's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to myself. It's not fair to my clients. Yes. So like, I am very 
strict on how much I'll take on at a time, especially if like mm-hmm. I'm boarding dogs. If I'm like yeah. watching them while they're on vacation, I'm very strict on the dogs I'll watch now too because sometimes owners don't keep up with things and that can sure. be a downfall and you're just throwing this dog back in an environment that's familiar, but they're still, now they're just as confused as like day one. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, like, certain dogs, like we talked about, with, like, different temperaments, like, some are going to be easier than others, obviously, and some of them are going to require a lot more, like, mental strength from you if they're boarding. Like, if you have four dogs in at once that all are there for, like, separation anxiety issues and, you know, create anxiety and, you know, housebreaking and stuff like that, that's going to be so much more exhausting than if you have, like, four adult dogs that are just, like, (laughs) good. Yeah. Just hanging out on place all day, chewing on Benabones. Yeah, their best right. Life. Just living their life. We'll get that sometimes yeah. too. Like where, you know, we we I would say maybe once around or once every other round or something like that, we'll get like a truly like aggressive dog in. You know, and same deal. Like you know, if there's just one of them in, it's like whatever. Like it's not that much of an adjustment to the routine. You know, our evening runs and stuff like that. You know, we staff a trainer on it to help with the dog and this and that. Um, and <laughs> ironically, like we had just with the holiday and stuff, we had like four of them bored like last weekend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And same deal. It was like, God, like we got four of these dogs that now have like special handling, like routines and stuff like that, that we need to make sure we have like extra staffing for. And like every single run that we need to do with this dogs, like takes up like an extra, like 45 minutes for us to do and stuff. So yeah, hundred percent. I mean, being picky about the dogs that you're having in, uh, especially in your position is definitely key <laughs> yeah and i don't really focus a lot on like behavioral things sure i like to just stick with puppies because it's mm-hmm. it keeps me going it's fun yeah i like admire like the behavioral work that you guys do and like some of the trainers at my facility do sure. but for me it's just i feel like that's very mentally taxing and i feel yeah. like that takes a lot out of you because it's so much focused on the behavior where yeah it's just yeah. a lot goes into it. it. It's also like it's emotionally draining from the standpoint of like, you know, like the success rate on those dogs isn't as high. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. then you get into, you know, with puppies and stuff like that, like, yeah, you can kind of train them, send them home and there's going to be issues they reach out to you about, but they're not like dire, dire things. Yeah. You know, like I think you messaged me like we did the podcast, like what was it like three, four weeks ago, we were talking about like three different like basically explosions that happened with like dogs that we like had to deal with Mm -hmm. uh, where it's like that kind of stuff. It's like, God, like it, it is like, it is emotionally exhausting when you're dealing Mm -hmm. with that. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a question because I think it's a a great thing for trainers that are getting into this and don't have a facility, you know, because like you said, it's all you, you know? So how do you balance, I don't know, having, I don't, I don't know how many dogs you do at a time or whatever, but how do you balance that with your own dogs and your, and your own life, like in your house, you know? In the last few months I found kind of like what works for me. I bought like this big ass dry erase board and mm-hmm. I just write it all the dogs I have. I try to do two to three training at a time and maybe two or three boarding at a time. So that way, like I am not mentally exhausted because mm-hmm. I know what I can handle. Sure. So I'll write down like, okay, this is what we did this morning. And then an hour later, this is what we're going to do now, an hour later. And I'll do that from like 7 a.m. to 6 Mm p.m. of just that throughout the week. And then the weekend, maybe it's not as like rigid for me. I'll Mm -hmm. take a little bit more time for myself. So like I'll do things like go take my Dutchie dock diving and just enjoy that. Or the search and rescue is like an outlet for me. Mm -hmm. So I'll just have that for my dog so I know that they're still getting fulfilled and even Mm -hmm. if it's like I'm up until 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night like I'll walk my dogs too just to make sure they're getting something out of it Mm -hmm. and I also just try to I try to train my dogs as much as possible like with hand feeding yep just so that way 
I'm just working with them. So that way I feel like they're still getting something from me mm-hmm. because I don't want them to f- sit in a crate all day, feel like a back burner type yeah, of situation. Sure. Yeah. Do your dogs integrate pretty well with like all of the dogs that you get in and stuff? Buttercup does really well. Sage just doesn't really care about other dogs. Yeah. She's just like, mm, leave me alone. I'm going to sleep on this cat. Don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not really phased, but she just, she's just not social. She doesn't care. She just wants to do her own thing. Buttercup's yeah. like, needs to be in everyone's face. She's yeah. zero to a hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I need to be everyone's best friend, human, animal, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vinny's that way. He's he's like, he, he has grown to love all the other dogs in the house here. <laughs> yeah. But like, it was like a long progression. Like, it's so funny. Like, the first time I ever saw him play with Waffles, our new puppy, it was just like, oh my God, like, what's, is he doing it? Is he actually, <laughs> like, he wants to play? Because like, for the first like three months we had Waffles, like, he tried to get Vinny to play with him so bad and Vinny would just like growl and walk away, growl and walk away, growl and walk away. Just like, get the fuck away from me. Finally so gave annoying. in. <laughs> That's how Sage was with Buttercup when I first brought her home in January. Yeah. She was like, what the fuck is this thing? Because yeah. It's just this wild, crazy dog that is like, all right, well, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. And I just slowly integrate them together to where, like, I can just let them be off leash, like, in the woods with me. And they're just happy running around, chasing the different scents and yeah, coexisting. Yeah. So would you say your passion for dog training right now is still really in, like, a lot of that, like, search and rescue world and, like, tracking world and stuff like that? I think so. I really love the detection side of things, yep. but I like that's not my job. Yep. I like that I can keep it my passion. Yep. And that's why I like the obedience side of it for puppies because I still get fulfillment. <coughs> Ooh, <geez. laughs> uh, yeah, no, 100%. You know, the second you start like needing to do a lot of those types of things, it becomes way less fun for sure. Yeah. So that's cool. So um, how hands are, how hands on are you, or do you have the ability to be with like, so doing the tracking stuff and all that kind of stuff with more of like the actual, like um, the, the, I don't want to call it the sport world cause it's more, it's like real life obviously, but like the stuff that Eric does and stuff like, do you have the ability to go and like work with him mm-hmm. sometimes and like, yeah. you know, do you do tracking stuff with him frequently and, and things I, like that? I've actually been having him help me a lot more with buttercup for her human remains detection because yeah. I, didn't really know what I was doing when I was trying to do it with Sage mm-hmm. when I was trying to like make her more dual purpose. Yeah. So I went to him and asked him for his advice and got a lot of like, I was able to pretty much start her in February or March and yeah, like five months pretty much have a certified dog. So yeah. And is the process of training for that similar to like narcotics detection mm-hmm. and stuff? Like do you do a lot of like box work and stuff to teach the odors? Or? That's how we started it. But yeah. it's also, you need to have like a wide variety of, human remains so like sure i have a specific like freezer yeah. with a shit ton of paperwork so that way if like the cops ever like what the fuck is this yeah it's not like i look like jeffrey Dahmer or someone just like <laughs> yeah with all of that is yeah. it um like do they have like uh like artificial odors and stuff like that for they that do but we try to not to use it because we don't know how close it is yeah so we'll go to like a coroner's office or a medical examiner or whatever yeah. and they'll write it off for us and give us, you know, either half a body or parts of a body, whatever we need. Sometimes we'll <laughs> Wait say, a minute. here's hold, an arm. Hold on. So do you like literally have like an arm in your house right now? <laughs> it's in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes total sense. I never thought it of does. it though. So how, I mean, can anybody just go and get one of those or do you have to no. have like a certain yeah. license to do you it? You have to have, um, so because like my search and rescue team works with like all of the various law enforcement. Yeah. We have like a ton of paperwork sure. and I don't even know how we do it, but. Oh my gosh. 
Like sometimes yeah. we'll get like messages on our like Facebook account, like, "Hi, I just had a baby. Do you want my placenta?" It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> I guess wow. that would be an odor as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. And uh, say, is it Sage the one that is? From so Sage um, does the tracking trail. Does the so tracking she's certified trail? Okay, so through Napwada for that, and then Buttercup will probably be certified through like, Nasa. Okay, or yeah. So, okay, mm-hmm. Buttercup's the one. So do you like practice that in a lot? I mean, where? What's your route? How often are you working on like the, for example, the human remains detection, right? How often are you working on that? Where are you going to work that? Do you, you know, what's your routine as far as kind of training for that? Because I know it sounds like I you're trying to like go really... everywhere as much yeah. as possible. So I became friends with some of the local police departments. So I'll contact and be like, hey, is it cool to have my dog off leash here? Yeah. Can I do this? Can I do that? Um, so I'll try to go to local parks. I'll try to go to like, factories or buildings that might be run down wherever like i can get permission to go just to give my dog that environmental Mm -hmm. like difference that way she's like oh yeah i can do this anywhere yeah oh cool this building has like random motors but here's the source so this is where we're going yeah do you have any like spots in your house that your dog likes to go and just like chill by that maybe there's like a body buried under the floorboard or something I try not to think about it (laughs) (laughs) i have never like asked her either of them to do it because i'm just like hmm when I bought my house, I was like, yeah, there's uh, something just seems off, but Old that's fine. Hell, strange place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, for Buttercup, do you, um, I guess, for the like the body detection mm-hmm. training, like, do you just do that pretty much at home? Or um, is his name Eric? Yeah. yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric. Or you yeah, just yeah. do it there? Because I feel like you can't just bring. No, I do. You do? Yeah. I guess if like, you what are you going to do? What are you going to say to me? That's Who's going to say yeah, something yeah. to that, me? That's true. Just a box. <laughs> now, give me the context. Got my arm here. So you're saying you like, you use like an, like, like obviously actual body parts. Do you mm-hmm. have like small little things that you can go and hide somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, like a pinky? Or yeah. Like, so you know? yeah. <laughs> we were donated like an arm, and then our other detection handler and I, we had to like sit at our farm and just like dismantle it like a psychopath. So they're like, here's this arm, figure it out on your own. I'm like, oh, that's shit. Crazy. Okay. That is awesome, though. It is like, so I, crazy. You would never, like, you don't think about that, right? Like, no. So, like, my no. brain just goes to, like, again, like, we, we, like, Jake did, like, a lot of the detection stuff, and, like, I kind of, like, dabbled with it with a couple of different dogs and stuff, and we had, obviously, the artificial substances mm-hmm. and stuff, right? And we would use that, and, you know, from basically what everybody said is it was, like, close enough where it could simulate the yeah. real stuff, and then I, I know, obviously, with, like, police departments and stuff like that, like, they'll get access to, like, the actual stuff, yeah. right? So you could train mm-hmm. for, like, a legitimate drug right? yeah. uh, to really proof the dog around. But a lot of the training was done with like artificials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I just kind of assumed in my mind, like something like that would be, you know, either artificial or does it work the same way with like, say like cremated remains or mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. Okay. Cause so, I think something like that would be like more <laughs> digestible for a lot of people than like literally like here, let me put this hand over here. For my yeah. I love I, that, it's though. morbid. That's why like, I just try to have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. So if you like yeah. think about it too sure. much and really, like, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's the initial shock value of like, Oh yeah. wow. Like legitimately that's what you're using for. Mm-hmm. But it, it makes sense obviously. Yeah. So, no, that's that's really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this is this just like turned really interesting. Yo, isn't it wild though? Like when you get into like like detection dogs and stuff, like how many different things that they could like be trained to detect. Like, yeah, I remember when like bed bug dogs was becoming really popular, and like I think for a while they were talking about having like COVID searching dogs and stuff, and yeah. like all of it is just an odor. Like you know, same deal with uh, the uh, the. Diabetic alert dogs and stuff. Like, like everybody's like, oh, how do you train that? How do you train that? It's an odor, right? Your saliva smells different to the dog when your blood sugar is yeah. low. 
actually, I we just saw this yesterday on TV while we were at uh, the sushi place. But it, it was just so funny that we were there. But uh, in Florida right now, there's a town that is completely um, quarantined mm-hmm. because of these giant snails. <laughs> I kid you not. So there's these big snails from Africa. And How they big get, are we talking? Like eight inches. They're like. Can this you imagine big. seeing a snail that yeah. big? Like but, without a <laughs> but the reason that the reason that they're like worried about <laughs> is because they carry meningitis. Um, which doesn't sound great. No, uh, it it like inflames the the barrier <laughs> on your brain and you can die. Like like it's really a really bad disease. But they they were um, teaching dogs to detect the snails so, so they the could dog find gets the snail. meningitis instead of the human. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I think there's a vaccine for it. So, yeah. but the dog finds it and then they dispose of the snails. But it's kind of it's crazy that we we're talking about this today because they had to like teach these dogs like how to track these snails, the sin, uh, the the certain snail, Just torch the whole town. Yeah, honestly, I wipe I, it clean. I was like, this really makes sense in 2022. Honestly, like giant snails that are giving people meningitis. But it was really cool because they had detection dogs to find them. Yeah, yeah. It's such a wild world. It's such a wild world. Um, you know, I had a, 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 a client of mine that was like, you know, into obviously the explosive detection. And like, I, I asked him one time because he brought his dog for some like behavioral training to me. And I was like, so like, he's like, he was like working full time with this dog doing it. I was like, who's like hiring you? Like, where, you know, like, are you going for this and stuff like that? And he told me it was like a lot of churches and stuff would hire him. Well, that's neat. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, morbid and, like, freaky that, like, churches are scared people are going to come in with explosives, obviously. Yeah. He said a lot of churches before, like, big gatherings and stuff would hire him to come in and then just search the place with his dog and just make sure everything was clear. Yeah. That's awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. Oh, and it's cool, like, for you, you know, the Garfield house that mm-hmm. exploded, like, they had you come out there for that. that. That's really cool. Yeah. It was... It's interesting because... I feel like those are things that like people don't really think about, yep. and they're like, yeah. "Oh God, what?" Like, I don't know. It's just part of my life now. Like, it's yeah. It doesn't really affect me like in a negative way. It's something I really enjoy doing because I get to sure. help people. Yeah. Of course. Like, I don't know if it's like so much bringing closure to people because maybe it's not that. Yeah. Maybe it's not the word to use, but like I get to help my community. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Something that brings me a lot of joy. I remember, you know, watching videos and stuff, even after like 9-11 and stuff, when they were using all the search and rescue dogs and going and like, you know, probably human remains dogs and stuff like that, going in trying to find um, Mm -hmm. people as well. So, yeah, wild, very cool world. So is there like an aspect of dog training right now? I mean, obviously it sounds like the puppies, right? And the like working dog stuff, right? But is there like an aspect of dogs that right now, like if you get on, like, like your friends, like get on a conversation about it with you that you're just like, this is like, this is what I freaking love, you know? You, like, just talk about it forever with them. I like when I can actually give my friends aha moments. Mm-hmm. Like, one of my friends is living with her parents, and, like, they have a dog. It's mm-hmm. been her dog her whole life, but they're just kind of like, they, it's a dog, let it be a dog. Sure. So when I try to give her advice and help her and it works out, it's just for her, it's just like, that fucking worked. Yeah. Like, my dog's not running to the door attacking people now. That's awesome. It's like, <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Yeah. So it's like little moments like that just make me so happy. That's like you can literally give someone just like five words of advice or five sentences and be like, bam, you yeah. made a difference. You impacted them somehow. Yeah. And it, it's interesting that like sometimes like that aha moment isn't even like a like go do this side of things. It's more just like a like I have friends and stuff that have dogs too that will come over. And like again at this point, unless somebody verbatim 
is like, yo, what, how do I fix this thing? Right? Like I just, I stay so out of those conversations at this point, but sometimes I'll hear them talking about something and they'll be like, you know, like, I don't understand this, right? I don't understand this behavior my dog's exhibiting. And the aha moment isn't how to fix it. It's just telling them, this is why your dog is doing the thing they're doing, mm-hmm. you know? And they're like, oh, well, that actually makes complete sense. <laughs> I think yeah. I had a couple recently with like a, one of my friends who has two dogs who's trying to make sure that they, they, she's Alex. She's yeah. really scared. Her dog is going to like kill this new puppy that she got <laughs> irrationally, right? Irrationally scared of it. Right. Yeah. So same deal, like helping her understand just like why her dog is not as bad as she thinks she is. And like how some of the issues she's had in the past are like not really dog issues and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. that's always really cool. Um, and then we got a, a couple other friends that have dogs that same deal, just have like miscellaneous issues where it's like, well, your dog is just doing this because of this right? yeah. and just getting them to like realize that and click. And then you start seeing them on their own kind of figure out the path to that solution just because they then understand the problem, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff is pretty sweet. So, um, what do you find? So you get people that bring puppies to you a lot. What do you find common issues people are coming for? Is it primarily just like housebreaking and stuff? Or are a lot of people just trying to like set the dog up right to start? I think a lot of people are trying to set the dog up right. But also the dog is just doing behaviors that they don't appreciate, that they don't want. And they don't realize it's just you need to set boundaries and structure. Like you do Mm -hmm. it with anything in your life. Yeah. And they just don't realize you can do that with your dog. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Um I mean, I guess from personal experience, she's like, oh, my God, my dog has to be a part of my life. And they're just yeah, this yeah. tiny little fluffy thing. It's not a real thing. I don't know. Yeah. But. What's some, like, give give people some. Pu- so I have a lot of people that call. They have puppies. They're like, I got an eight-week-old puppy, whatever. I want to start training with it. We personally don't start training the puppies until they're about 14, 15 weeks old mm-hmm. or so as far as when our one-on-one programs will start. And they're always like, well, what the hell do I do in the meantime? You know, I got seven weeks, six weeks, something like that. What are like a couple bits of advice you would give people as far as like you just got this eight week old puppy? Like, how do they set themselves up for success in a way that's like gonna need much less training to fix those issues later on? I think some key things are crate training. I used to be like, oh, you can't do that, but I think it helps a lot of issues. It helps mm-hmm. keep your dog in a better mindset, it helps them not fuck up your house, it yeah. helps them just fit into your life better. And hand feeding, I am a big fan of just working and having your dog be engaged with you because if your dog sees value in you through their Mm -hmm. food and they're working for it i think it also helps them not just like graze and get fat and be like just these insecure dogs so Mm -hmm. i think your dog being able to see you as like that successful leader for them really helps set you up for success Mm -hmm. talk about the hand feeding here right so like that's something that i think is extremely beneficial especially when you get into like young puppies and stuff like that Talk about the, like, obviously you said it helps them see you as somebody that's like providing value and stuff, but like, how's that going to, how, how do you correlate that hand feeding then into like the training and stuff that you're yeah. doing with the dog? So I always start every puppy out with just engagement. Mm-hmm. So every time they look at me and give me eye contact, I'll mark it with yes, reward them food. Mm-hmm. So that way I can make their meals last throughout the day for me. Some people are just like, I just throw the bowl there and they go for it. It's like, well then they're just getting something for free. Like freedom is probably the highest reward for any dog, Mm -hmm. but I want that dog to earn it. I don't want them to just be given things because they're cute. Mm -hmm. That's how (laughs) shit goes wrong. It's true. Yeah. So it always starts off with just engagement. Like you look at me, you get food, and then I'll start luring and free shaping behaviors. I want to try to do things with as little force or as little 
pressure as possible. Mm -hmm. So that way it becomes something that they want to kind of do more. So mm -hmm. that way they see the value. And it's like, oh, they learn into a sit. Sweet. They maybe got a handful of food this time. We're like, that was fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can get that again. And I'll just vary the reward. I'll use one kibble, five kibbles, handful of kibbles, or you get your whole bowl. I don't really care. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you know, you get what you put into it. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, what do you get puppies that come in that owners have just like fed them out the wazoo and their food drive is just like very mm -hmm. minimal? Yeah. And how do you work on increasing that? I'll talk to the owners and ask them if they're okay if like we skip a meal mm -hmm. or I'll try and find something higher value knowing that I can drop it later on. Yep. So... I like to use all like freeze dried food, things like that, because mm -hmm. a lot of dogs just love it. Mm -hmm. And that way it's, it's just dog food. It's not actually like I'm giving them like what I eat. It's yeah. still just Redford freeze dried dog food or Zeewee, whatever. Yeah. So that way it's like, they feel like it's something a little bit better than what they have. For sure. You know, it's uh, I went in and out with the like types of rewards I would use, you know, and interestingly enough, like when we talked to Taylor from Proper Paws, um, who we had on like for the podcast a couple weeks ago, um, she was talking about how she always 100% of the time wants to find for every dog she works with, at least initially when they start training, like the highest value thing she could possibly get for them. Mm -hmm. And I used to for a while, I was like, well... Every dog has food drive, which I still think is true, right? And I think every dog can develop food drive for just their kibble and stuff like that. But when you're working with these dogs that just have been getting the same thing over and over and over again for like their whole freaking life and maybe have been overfed a little bit, so their drive for it isn't that great to begin with. In some cases, you're going to spend so much time like reversing that and fixing that and developing the drive and stuff like that. Um, where like sometimes, yeah, just kicking up the notch and just getting something crazy high value is just going to kickstart you to that while you're working on fixing the whole feeding issue to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when we first started training, we used the, the, the red barn food rules for a while. And like, I'll tell you, we didn't have to mess around with feeding schedules with dogs a whole lot because pretty much every single dog we worked with just thought that shit was crack. <laughs> they were so nice. pumped for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we were just able to get so much better engagement and stuff like that. And yeah. that's actually something we somewhat recently changed. I would say even in the last couple months, as we start telling people to bring like a specific training treat with them and stuff like that, in addition to their kibble. So we could use the kibble if we can, but we do have something a little more high value um, to help them work through like difficult things or, or more stressful times or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And I actually have started in like board and train send home lessons that I do and stuff. Even if the dog had been working for kibble the whole time, I'll bring bring out the higher value training treat just for that session, just mm -hmm. to gain myself, like just that little, little extra. Yeah. Pop. <laughs> That's what I try you to know? do too, just so that way like the dog is like super oh, happy to yeah. work for me. So. Yeah. So they realize like, wow, this is even better because I got to leverage <laughs> a little more attention even, yeah. you know, against the owner. And it's cool. You were talking about engagement and like teaching it with puppies. And, and I'll tell you, there is just so much value to like, if you could establish that early on, you just create this association with yourself of just being fucking like God to your dog. You yeah, know, it's like the bee's knees for them. They want to do everything yeah. with you. They want to be with you always. If yeah. they get a correction once yeah. in a while, they don't care. So they're like, holy yep. fuck, she gave me life yeah. essentially like, <laughs> yeah they literally they rebound from that stuff so much quicker than at that point and like it's funny because like even when you like don't do the engagement stuff anymore with them like you still have that kind of like built-in like conditioned association of like you take them out to do something and they're just like boom just focused mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> i think that stuff is really cool i enjoy it i get a lot of 
puppies that are kind of like shut down, I guess, where yeah. like they're just, they're terrified of everything. So I'll do like a lot of scatter feeding where I'll just mm-hmm. scatter the food around me because if they'll at least eat, I know they're comfortable enough yeah. where I can work with them to get them to eventually be engaged with me and want to work with me and mm-hmm. yeah. just little things like that. Like some of my friends will make fun of this joke about it and be like, oh, the power of food. And it's like, mm-hmm. but it is. It really sometimes. is. <laughs> it definitely is for sure. Yeah. It's like a great motivator for dogs. And I feel like you just got to. Yeah. Every dog's a little bit different in yeah. terms of like maybe they want to work for a toy. Sure. But yeah, for sure. Um, talk about genetics with puppies and what you've seen with that, like as you've been working with different types of dogs. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of people get a dog that they didn't want that exact dog. Like mm-hmm. they got a dog, like some people get shepherds thinking it's the cutest, fluffiest teddy mm-hmm. bear and then... They're wondering why their dog is resource guarding them or their kids or everything yeah. in the world. It's like, because you kind of taught your dog to do that. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they also, maybe they got them from a, like a breeder that's not so great. Mm-hmm. So it's just, they're not working with like a full cup there. So it's just trying to figure out like, okay, how do we work <laughs> through that? How do we do this? Mm-hmm. I feel like some people just need to understand, like when you get a German shepherd, I feel like every German shepherd has that tinge of anxiety in them. Yeah. Yeah, it's just who much. they are. It's just yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's just been bred so far in there. And same with like herding dogs. Mm-hmm. They're all just kind of a little neurotic. Yep. And it just makes sense because that's kind of their job to be OCD about how they herd, how they do things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a lot of people breed for specific things. So you can't be surprised when it kind of falls through and trickles down through yeah. the breeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shepherds in particular. It's so funny. Like I always say like, when we get a call from somebody, they could either tell me the behavioral issues their dog's experiencing and not the breed, and I'll know it's a German Shepherd, or they'll tell me it's a German Shepherd, and I'll be able to tell them the behavioral issues they're experiencing before <laughs> they even tell me. And they're like, yeah, that's actually 100% it. Yeah. <laughs> they are like, like every single one of them is just like the same fucking dog, like just like on a different spectrum of anxiety. Like yep. some of them are just goddamn messes, like just absolutely the most frantic, anxious dogs in the world. And then other ones have that like channeled anxiety of like, I'm so high strung right now, (laughs) but I'm focused. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's that obsessive nature they need to have. Like you figure that's why, like when you get into like the breeding of these dogs, what I seen with Malinois when we were doing a lot of sports stuff was they do these like tight line breedings to stack these fucking traits that they have to be obsessive over biting or chasing Mm -hmm. or tracking or like any Mm -hmm. of those types of things. Yeah. you wind up just like kind of creating like little monsters out of it. That's why I like hounds because it's just, they can be a challenge for a lot of people because their nose rules their life. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's neat because that's genetics right there. It's just them wanting to like root through the world and explore it through like Mm -hmm. their smell. Yeah. Yeah. I find it. Do you like, why, why did like the German shepherd, because I feel like it's just like a couple ticks off of like a Malinois. Like they have those same kind of drives, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, German Shepherds were just, it just exploded. Like everyone wanted a German Shepherd. Everyone still kind of wants a German Shepherd, I feel like. So yeah. I wonder where the popularity like really came in for those, like over like a Malinois yeah. or a Dutch. Well, I think German, and, and the, again, this is not my area of expertise by any means, but I think that the German Shepherd was intended, obviously, to be a working <laughs> dog, but also a suitable family pet, right? So the, you yeah. needed more of that, like, stable, mm-hmm. confident, working breed, yeah. where the Malinois was bred to just be a machine, right? Like, it was just kind of like one of those yeah. dogs where it's like, this dog just needs to work all mm-hmm. the time. And I think they started just, like, herding dogs and stuff, but yeah. slowly evolved into that. But you might know more about this than I do, even. 
I think a lot of it happens due to like media. Yeah. So where mm-hmm. it becomes popular. So mm-hmm. I feel like right now Malinois are becoming really popular because mm-hmm. you see them in a lot of movies. You see this yeah, really badass dog that's like a streamlined like Ferrari of a German Shepherd and mm-hmm. they're just like, oh God, this is so it's sweet. True. I need this. Yeah. And it's not everybody can handle that. Mm-hmm. Like some people exactly. that get German Shepherds, mm-hmm. Dobermans, Malinois, Dutchies. It's like maybe a Pomeranian would have been better. Yeah, something maybe something wrong. not what you get. Yeah, why don't um, you go with the standard lab? <laughs> the other thing that was really interesting to me is when I first started getting into training, I remember the guy that I worked for had like these like three different German Shepherds that he would board pretty regularly that were from this banging kennel down in I think Kentucky called Creative Kennels, and um, these three dogs were like the epitome of like the confident, stable German Shepherd, you know, Mm -hmm. like total working dog, but like not like what you're out there seeing all the time now where they're all like frantic and like can't control themselves and like leaking and loud and this and that. They were just like quiet, calm, right? And confident. But when they would work, it was just like, boom, like explosion of energy. And Mm -hmm. it was so funny because like to me, I was like, man, like that's what a German Shepherd should be. And then you start seeing all these other ones like they're just like backyard bred and stuff. And it's just like, God, like how? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like everybody just thinks like, oh, they're such a smart dog. They should be so good. But it's like you have just such a mess of one. Yeah. So (laughs) what about like, so, um, you know, like puppy socialization and stuff like that. What sorts of things do you do for socialization purposes? And what things do you do once you finish the training program with the dog and send the dog home? How do you kind of coach people through these are best practices for socializing mm-hmm. this dog? Yeah, so I try to socialize them with the dogs that I'm training and in my house. I'll go to the daycare, watch dogs play, make sure it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not like a fan of dog parks. I'm not a fan of just like having people meet random dogs in the park going for a walk or a hike. I just feel mm-hmm. like it sets everyone for failure mm-hmm. when you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So I'm a big fan of just structure it, make it where it's someone you trust, a group you trust, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I trust my dogs to not be assholes. So mm-hmm. Sage is fine with puppies for whatever reason, but adult dogs are like, man, I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. So I just think for that, like the socialization part, I I don't think people should focus on their dogs having friends, but they should work on the socialization of like environments Mm -hmm. and not needing to meet everything and everyone. I think that's huge Mm -hmm. because I feel like that's kind of what creates a lot of issues is that their dog gets this expectation of meeting everything and always being social. And then the owner wonders why their dog doesn't care about them at the other Mm -hmm. end of the leash. Yeah, for sure. How do you go about doing environmental socialization? So I try to kind of take the dog everywhere with me. Once I know it, they know it in my house, my yard, Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's go try and push the boundaries. Let's go to a park. Let's go to Lowe's. Let's go to Home Depot. Okay, let's try maybe Hartville down like down there and see like what we're doing. And I just want them to be focused with me. I want to be confident. I want to be happy. I want them to want to go do things with me because that's kind of what owners want. They want their dog to be able to go everywhere with them. Mm-hmm. And I want to help them have that kind of relationship and set them up for that success. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I remember when I got Vinny, that was like my first experience to like truly learning about like environmental socialization and stuff. Like I got him, he's like five months old or something like that. And I took him freaking everywhere with me. And it's so funny because I did so much of that with him. Like when he was young, um, he to this day is the dog that if I have to take one of my dogs into like a truly public setting and like trust that they're going to be like 
confident and like not phased by anything around them. Like he's the one dog I would pick for it. And it's the one thing when we get people with puppies in that I'm constantly telling them is you got to just get this dog so many different places and just make sure you're not having them interacting with everything. All right. You want to be the most interesting thing in every single one of those settings. And you want your dog to see literally everything else around you like furniture, you know? And I like making dogs just climb on random things. Like I feel like that builds their confidence a lot and then getting rewarded for it. So like, I'll make them climb the lumber. I'll make them climb up on random, like mannequin stands and things like that. Mm -hmm. I just want the dogs to be confident. want them to feel like that they can handle pretty much anything once they leave. So like with the go homes, Mm -hmm. I try to make the go homes like two, three hours long. If it's longer, that's fine because that's what the owner paid for they paid to be able to figure out how to communicate with their dog how to learn what their dog knows mm-hmm. and how to be successful with them yeah and i always encourage if the owners to text me message me something send me updates send me pictures send me videos and some do and i love it because it makes me feel so happy to see like these dogs thrive like a corso i trained she was kind of like timid and now she's like having her little floaty vest on at the pool, having a great time, hanging out (laughs) with her family, going to like football games, just chilling. Mm -hmm. And it's just so gratifying to see that, to see people actually want to take their dog and do things and knowing that like you helped be a part of that for them. Yeah. A hundred percent. The, the, there's been like, I feel like in the last couple of years, like a really big push on, you know, a lot of the climbing things or like doing like the kind of like urban getting onto the playground. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like agility equipment Mm -hmm. work with, uh, with dogs and things like that. And yeah, it's confidence building, which is phenomenal, but like past just that, I feel like it's such great, like confidence in handler skills. You know what I mean? It's more so like, you know, you may be scared of this random park bench, or if I take you on the playground and walk you over the the bridge that mm-hmm. wobbles and stuff like that, <laughs> right? But you start learning that even though you're scared of this, I am going to coach you through any of these things you're fearful of. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm not going to lead you astray kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's so much of it is is w- you need to trust us to give you proper direction and trust that things that are actually scary will handle for you, right? And if your dog can understand those two things from you by you pushing them past things that they're scared of irrationally and you advocating for them properly in situations where they're scared of things. Like if you have a genetically skittish puppy and there's a person that's like, I want to go pet your puppy. It's so cute. And they're coming in all hot and you go, Hey, fuck off. Um, yeah. I've had to do that a lot. Like, yeah, just coming in hot. And you're like, whoa, yeah. you're just like, whoa, down. stop no, it no, right no. now. You know, before your dog has a chance to be like, oh, I'm getting nervous and I'm going to explode. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, is that such a powerful tool where it, incrementally then increases their confidence to those things over time. It's like people always ask like, well, how do I get my dog more tolerant of people out on the walk? I was like, well, first thing that happens is you make sure that you keep a bubble around your dog that nobody is allowed to go within, Mm -hmm. right? And if your dog's threshold is 10 feet away, you need to stop those people at 11 feet away, right? Mm -hmm. From there, as your dog stops feeling this sense of like, I'm so tense and stressed because I'm concerned this person's going to fuck with me all the time, and they start saying, oh, you're handling this... I loosen up, what happens is that threshold increases. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people think that to increase that threshold and that dog's tolerance to people petting them and stuff like that, they need to have more of it happening. But in actuality, they just need to have more trust in you. You know? I think another issue is that people put a lot of like their own emotions on their dog. So like they yep. want their dog to be social. They want their dog to have play dates. They want their dog to do this. And that's like, what sure. does your dog actually want that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What does your dog actually want? I'll yeah. just tell her, it's like, 
okay, this dog doesn't care about people. So if it's mm-hmm. neutral, just let it be neutral. Don't force, you know, to be friends with everyone. It doesn't need that. Like it just needs you. It needs your family. Like mm-hmm. you should just focus on that. Yeah. Like I don't care if my dog's like other people, like in the sense of I need to go meet them. I yeah. need to be annoying. I need to be up their ass and just mm-hmm. know everything about them. Like that's not important to me. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm important to them, that's what matters to me. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. What are, um, what are, what are the biggest issues or things that frustrate you in either send homes or follow-ups or like the biggest hurdles that the owners have then taking the reins on things? Um, I trained a Husky and it was going great. She's like, oh yeah, he broke out of his crate though. And she sent you a video and a picture of her house just fucking destroyed. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> like, so maybe, maybe a zip tie the crate. Because it was a wire one, I'm like, or maybe we just get a different crepe. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's just one of those ones where I'm like, okay, let me help you. Let me explain some things to give you a little advice. Mm-hmm. And it's just, but those are just things that happen. Like yeah. Not, some people don't always follow up with it, and that's just, that's life. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that's hard. Like, crate anxiety is is always, always, always a tricky thing. I would say, honestly, out of a lot of the behavioral issues that you'll see, like crate anxiety is one of the toughest ones to really, really get under control. Because I think when you have dogs that have horrible crate anxiety issues, they're never going to love their crate. Like Vinny was so freaking bad in the crate when I first got, like (laughs) so bad. It's like mind boggling how bad he was, right? And he does not love his crate. Like he's in his crate downstairs right now and he's got his e-collar on. And every now and then, if I hear him start getting restless down there and stuff like that, I need to give a correction for it and he's super manageable with it at this point but it's under strict management still you know what i mean if i just like don't do anything with it forever like he'll revert back to those old great anxiety Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. you know but again because dogs are creatures of habit routine we have clear routines as far as this is how we create you this is what you do in the crate etc etc he's been able to adapt pretty well to those things where it's not a nuisance anymore but like i think a lot of people like i remember one client in particular we worked with someone (coughs) recently did a board and train with us, crate anxiety issues. And this dog wasn't even that bad in the crate. Like it was like, just kind of would like make a lot of noise in it and this and that. And we got the dog to stop making noise in the crate. We got the dog to start, stop scratching like crazy in the crate and like injuring itself and stuff like that. But the dog would like periodically throughout the day, like get up and like start kind of like being a little restless and pacing around and stuff like that. And we would get like, text updates from this person with like screenshots of her like camera on the dog while she wasn't home like look he's up pacing around he shouldn't be doing that i was like he's fine put the fucking camera away like i i probably don't even want to know what the hell Vinny is doing when i'm not home in his crate right and it's just like you know like calibrating those expectations sometimes of like again with these types of things it's not that your dog is anxious in the crate that's the problem it's that they're being harmful right they're self-mutilating themselves in it they're breaking out of it right they're doing those types of things that's the issue and as long as we can get over those types of things you're playing that long game of Mm -hmm. you know we'll get you past these and your dog is going to learn to tolerate it better and better and better and Vinny is better than he was last year in the crate and last year was better than he was the year before in the crate etc etc right Uh, but perfection isn't the goal you know I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people when they see their dog starting to act out they feel bad and because they feel Mm -hmm. bad then they let their dog out and then their dog's like fuck yeah I got rewarded I'm out Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then it just it just sets you back a few steps so it's like I always tell people I'm like put the crate somewhere where it's not going to bother you where it's not going to be such a big deal to you because they're doing things with you that they might not do with me or someone else because Mm -hmm. I've set boundaries I've set structure I've Mm -hmm. helped you realize like this isn't what's going to happen. This doesn't fly. Yeah, for sure. 
I think another one of the biggest things I'll have a lot of people do with their dogs, and this is something I did with Vinny, because like Vinny, when I would let him out of the crate, would just get like really, really, really amped up and excited to see me. And, you know, I would like, hey, how's it going? This, that, put his leash on, stuff like that. And I started just like letting him out of the crate and then just letting him like zip around and spin around for like 15 minutes where I just didn't even look at him. Like, I'm like, you're getting nothing from me in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I started doing that forever ago when I got him, I started seeing over the course of like a week, two weeks, three weeks that that initial anticipation of like coming out of the crate and something super exciting happening started to diminish where he got out and he's like excited to be out, but he wasn't pushing me anymore for anything you know he wasn't constantly trying to get anything from me Mm -hmm. Uh, and it completely shifted his behavior like when I got home in the first place with stuff Uh, because I think a lot of people do the opposite where dog will be in the crate right and they're like well you need you're I'm gonna wait to let you out of the crate until you're calm which I get right Mm -hmm. And, and obviously there's benefit to doing that but the problem is if you sit there for 15 minutes until your dog's in a calm state of mind and then you let them out of the crate and you get them all excited again it's just gonna make it take 25 minutes to get them calm the next time and then 35 minutes to get them calm the next time because you're not addressing the root of the problem which is why is the dog getting so amped up to get out of the crate in the first place Mm -hmm. you know those types of things are are always interesting as far as like figuring out what that actual like solution to some of those issues are you Mm -hmm. know i try to help owners understand things i'm like it's almost like taking a polaroid like a Mm -hmm. picture like take a picture of that moment of what your dog is doing yeah and kind of assess it and see like why are they doing it yep because they kind of learn just through trial and error it's like this worked this worked this Mm -hmm. worked and that's why you get a lot of bad behaviors because it worked Mm -hmm. they felt Mm -hmm. fulfilled they got something out of it for them it was a positive experience and they don't understand that like they understand like oh, my dog ate chicken off the counter and then they had a $5,000 vet bill. That's bad. They, The dog looks as <laughs> like, I got the fucking chicken off the counter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reinforcement behind everything. You know, like every behavior that your dog exhibits has been reinforced at some point. That's the reason why mm-hmm. they do it, yep. you know? And if you could get a puppy and you could be aware of that, that every interaction with your dog, you're either reinforcing or discouraging something, then you could make sure you set yourself up for success and make sure that, okay, cool. What do I want my puppy to not do? puppy biting let's say Mm -hmm. right if you go into that you know getting that puppy keenly aware that that's something you absolutely do not want your dog to do and you understand that most of your interactions with your dog are some form of reinforcement you could make sure that behavior never gets reinforced and then you could decrease the chances of you needing to be super firm on the dog later to correct it you know so you kind of got to like reverse engineer like pretty much any behavioral issue that yeah. you don't want your dog to exhibit when you get that young dog. And that's so much of what we do like in our puppy program with people is just teaching them to think backwards. Mm-hmm. Like we want to prevent behavioral issues later on. So in order to prevent them, right, we have to understand how they got there in the first place. And then we have to understand how do we stop those things, right? Mm-hmm. So that we could create then the structure necessary in order to create a plan for you to follow to not have it happen in the first place. You That's know? why I always recommend the owners keeping like a leash on their puppy yeah. for the longest time because I feel like it's one of the most underutilized tools. Uh, 100%. Because like you're going to scream no at your dog from across the room and they're still yeah. getting what they want. Then your mm-hmm. word meant nothing to them. How are you going to stop them? Yeah, 100%. And you could just prevent so much stuff from happening, right? Like your dog can't go and get in the trash can while you're working at your computer <coughs> if the leash is tethered to your chair, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When we got waffles, we had that dude live on a fucking leash for the first probably like two months that we had him, mm-hmm. right? And he never went out of site never got into anything we house braked him so fucking quick because there was no sneaking off and going around the couch and like pissing on the floor or anything like that like it was just 
it just made everything so much easier. It's like, you got to just put in the heavy lifting up front with those puppies, you know? And I feel like it's not as hard as everyone thinks. Cause you yeah. can back tie the leash to things. You can stop them from doing things like that's how I'll train duration for some puppies. I'll like back tie the leash to a table or yeah. something. And I'll play video games for like an hour just to like have them out with me and have them understand that they don't have to be in my skin. They don't mm-hmm. have to be on top of me. If they can be okay 10 feet away from me tied mm-hmm. to something on a cot hanging out and just throwing food at them every so often rewarding them for it yep yeah 100 just shaping that expectation of what you want them to do mm-hmm. which a lot of should be just existing in the house yeah <laughs> hell yeah um do you, so obviously you're just doing puppies and stuff right now. Obviously you do some of the working dog stuff. Do you have, I know you said you, you have some trainers that kind of work there and stuff that do behavioral mm-hmm. stuff, things like that. Do you have any interest in getting into those types of things yourself? Yes and no. I feel like it's a very big labor of love. I feel like it's, sure. you have to put so much of yourself into that. And like you said, the success rate, how mm-hmm. much people keep up with it. I feel like that could be very just not great for me mentally i just sure. like cool i did all this work and yeah oh your dog mauled the kid next door still yeah that that's great thanks like you know like <laughs> i just would yeah because you still probably feel responsible to some extent you're like 100%. we did all we could we did a yeah. lot and then this happens and you're like fuck so yeah. while there are areas of it that interest me it's i'm not at that point yet where like i want to just be like yes let me do all these tough cases yeah for sure yeah, I, you know, I think there's a difference between, you know, like, obviously you get into like seriously like dangerous dogs and stuff like that. I think the thing is a lot of people kind of make it seem like there's so many more of those than there actually is. You know, like, yes, like people are getting bit, dogs are getting bit, stuff like that. But some of these really extreme cases, it's just like so many people are out there like, oh, look at this aggressive dog I have. Look at this aggressive dog I have. You know, oh, I just fixed this seriously human aggressive dog and stuff like that. And it's like, well, the dog actually really wasn't that aggressive. You know what it's I mean? It's just like, they more fearful of everything. Yeah. Just, or they're just like really know. misunderstood. You know, like any of these dogs, like even like even a lot of these puppies and stuff like that. Like we were talking about genetics, right? Like some of them that are a little bit more skittish or a little bit more confident and stuff like that. Like there's a high probability that they might try to bite somebody or bite another dog or something like that later on, no matter how much socialization you do with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I always like, I try to encourage that like, you know, newer trainers and stuff like that, get a baseline understanding of working through behavioral issues. Because I do think to some extent, every case is a behavioral case. You know yeah. what I mean? Whether it's proactively working to make sure you're avoiding serious issues like that later on, or you just get that one dog that develops that behavioral issue later on or whatever it may be. I mean, we're with a lot of dogs that say a puppy, right? That like, owner did everything right when the dog was young and you know dogs 10 months old 11 months old and we get the call like they started going through maturity they started getting more confident and like suddenly it's like whoa this just came out of left field like dog's been fine with this its whole life and and suddenly is now growling at the you know the guests coming in the house or whatever got into a dog fight you know with the neighbor's dog or any number of those types of things and i i think I think the more you know about behavioral stuff, you could avoid that. Mm-hmm. Or, like I said, when it does happen, if the dog has that genetic kind of quirk built into them to some extent, you could then be able to, like, really effectively give proper information to, like, yeah. avoid it, you know? So I, I, I like that kind of stuff. But I, I do think that, yeah, like, 
the serious, serious behavioral stuff, like it's, it is draining. And honestly, like, especially if you're doing stuff out of your house, like you don't want a fucking dog like that in your house. You know, that's another thing too. Like in a facility setting, it's a little bit easier as you're working through it, but. Definitely. We have a trainer that that's, that's her bread and butter. That's what she does. She specializes in Mm -hmm. behavioral. And like, I love watching and learning from her because it has made me become a better trainer. Sure. So that's just what I try to do is just network with as many people as possible because I feel like there's always something to learn from everyone. Mm-hmm. Like I'm never going to have all the answers. So that's why like I'm happy that we have such a diverse group even though it's small at my facility mm-hmm. because I can go to these people and nobody cares if like I ask another trainer like if yeah whoever like hey what do you think second set of eyes like what's your opinion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just very like open-minded. Yeah, 100%. I think that's super cool. Um Anything else, Josh? Think of? Mm-mm. Well, listen. Um, what sort of last information do you want the people to know about anything? Like, obviously, where can they find more information about you? Is there any any burning thoughts you have of like, listen, if there's one thing you take away from this, take this away from this. Give us some. Give us some closing notes here. For me, it's just the power of like motivating your dog. And just utilizing your leash, I feel like a lot of people feel like failures when they have to like clip the leash back on their dog. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a failure. It's just a growing point. Yeah, I think that's a good one is utilizing your fucking leash. I think <laughs> if there's one thing people that get puppies need to do mm-hmm. more of, it's just keep your dog on a goddamn leash. <laughs> you know? like yeah. Just keep it on a leash. If you keep a leash on your dog in the house, goddamn, will you have so many less issues with your dog? Remember when we filled like nine gazillion puppies and we had we had waffles back tied to that chair leg right mm-hmm. there. And he just fucking chilled while we filmed so many different podcasts. And he was able to do that because he had a leash on him. See? Yep. So if you want your dog to be able to be calm while we, you film a two-hour-long podcast or while you work from <laughs> home or do any of those things, get a leash get on a your leash. puppy, back tie it to something, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So listen, I really appreciate you coming on. Yep. Um, where is, I mean, do you just do everything from your personal Instagram and stuff? Mm-hmm. Or? Yep, RSK9 Ohio Leia. RSK9 Ohio Leia. Is there any underscores or periods or anything like that? Oh, God, let me check. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm really bad at oh, no. selling myself, let me tell you. Um, yeah, so RSK9, Ohio, period, L-E-A-H. Love it. Got it. Hell yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Um, and we're going to end that on that. See you. See ya.